Today in the garage, we have our Roots Gadia. Roots is always an advocate for the underdog. She represents clients facing criminal proceedings ranging from drug offenses, sexual and aggravated assaults, to manslaughter and murder. What an experience to do this podcast using Zoom with her during COVID. She prepared a wonderful PowerPoint presentation, which is available on our website. And we learned about pretrials and key parts of a criminal proceeding. Whether you're driving your Audi, gearing up your Gibson, or preparing for a disclosure motion. Let's step into the garage, listen to the experts, and get a tune-up. Hi, Paul. It's good to see you again during these times when we don't get to spend time with each other. So it's lovely to see your face. Oh, you're so kind. Um, COVID has been an interesting time for us to reassess, uh, regroup, and uh, get ready for this onslaught of, uh, of possibly an avalanche of cases that we'll have to assist people on. And I know that clients of yours are in good hands. So let's talk about today uh, clients uh, that have to go through the pretrial process, both the Crown pretrial process and the judicial pretrial process. I know you help uh, uh, guide them through that process. This uh, podcast and webcast is really designed for young lawyers and the general public so that they can understand the law and uh, if you can share some good sage advice. I'd love to do that and I'm hoping that a lot of young lawyers out there are taking the initiative to not only um, find the work and do the work but do the work with integrity and passion because this job deserves nothing less. Um, I wanted to share with you a PowerPoint presentation that I've prepared for this garage series. It includes uh, information regarding the uh, process of court, so individuals who are laypersons as well as young lawyers get a sense of what it means to go through the court system um, as they start and begin the process. I'm just going to share a screen if I may. Absolutely, this sounds exciting. And here we are. Um, in my title page. I, I'm quite proud of my title page, but let's get going. One of the things that I think everybody needs to understand is when a client first comes knocking on the door, it's usually potentially at that initial arrest stage or shortly thereafter. And it's very important that you start collecting as much information as you can regarding where the alleged offense took place. We are now living in the age of cameras and audio and video equipment in every city, in every town, and on every street corner. So start collecting the information so you can start collecting the videos. It's important and it may save your clients in the long run. The process takes you through after a bail hearing, and that's not my job to discuss bail hearings here. I'm sure that's gonna be another scintillating podcast. But we go through the set date process, and the purpose of it is to ensure that the court has jurisdiction over an individual. It's also to provide disclosure, which is the Crown's case against an individual, which includes all things and all manner of things from witness statements, police notes, medical records, video surveillance, etc. And the court also wants to ensure that the client has representation. We don't want to see individuals stumbling their way through court unrepresented. It's in everybody's best interest for an individual to get legal advice. So for those who are out there thinking about what they're going to do with their charges, 
at least call a lawyer and get some advice or see duty counsel at the courthouse. So the initial process of disclosure, which is that Crown's case against you, can take a number of weeks. It can range from anywhere from three to four weeks in one jurisdiction or up to six weeks for that initial package to be provided. And set dates continue until that disclosure is complete. At least we hope it's complete. So complete disclosure can take a while depending on the nature of the case. Assume for the moment that it will take anywhere upwards to three months to complete the entire package of disclosure for a very basic case. Murders, on the other hand, may take several months, if not years sometimes. Um, but once you have disclosure, what they anticipate that defense counsel will do is conduct what's called a Crown pretrial. A Crown pretrial, as you know, is a meeting between the Crown and the defense, and it's a meeting to discuss a number of issues. First and foremost, it's to determine whether or not you have all the disclosure. It's an important uh, step in confirming with the Crown, despite all the letters that you've sent to the Crown's office asking for disclosure, that you're still missing things. Um, and that's where you need to make sure that you have a list of all the items that are missing and that you follow up with the Crown after this Crown pretrial with that exact same list so that they remember that this is a priority for your office or for you personally. When now, you, sorry, uh, when you say, you know, you start off that uh, part of practice has to be with integrity and passion, the hard work that puts in, that you have to put in to be prepared for a Crown pretrial is tremendous. And, and, and I'm glad that you accentuate it as to how much work has to be put in. You have to itemize that disclosure. You have to know what you have and you gotta know what's missing. And so uh, how, for me, it took a while to realize how important it was for a power shift for when you enter into a Crown pretrial and they see that you're completely prepared, uh, that you're, you're, you're given this different level of, of respect or, or, or the conversation really turns in an appropriate way for I think for your client. Do you agree with that? I do. In fact, the Crown pretrial stage, as far as I'm concerned, is the first opportunity that a Crown attorney is actually looking at the file beyond the synopsis. You have the upper hand. If you can come in with not only having reviewed all of the disclosure that you've received, but in the weeks leading up to the Crown pretrial, you've ordered all of the additional materials that highlights itself from the disclosure you received. So for example, what's sometimes buried in disclosure is the notes of another officer or the notes of another witness. And many Crown offices don't have the time to go through letter by letter of the disclosure as you do as defense counsel, and you have to do that because in order to find that buried nugget of disclosure, which could be the make or break, uh, you're the one that has to request it. You're the one that has to find it. It's like digging for gold, it literally is. And so you have to go through the material, find what's missing, secure that disclosure, and be in the position to say to the Crown, look, I found this nugget, and it's going to change the entire landscape of this trial, or the credibility of your witness, or the identification of your client. And so there's a number of issues in that regard that 
being completely prepared for does give you the upper hand. Perfect. I, now, I, I just want that heard over and over and over again. So I apologize for interrupting. No, not at all. It's always good. I like the banter, Paul. Um, and that's what you do in this garage series. So it's, it's excellent. One of the um, things that I mentioned early on was the idea of collecting evidence yourself. Uh, many of our cases now are um, cases in which there is video surveillance. Um, you need to understand how important that is. So for example, your client says to you, I couldn't have been there because I was actually grocery shopping at the Metro at this location. Get the video from the Metro at that time and, and, and pull that out for your own purposes, just to be able to validate that your client is telling you what is accurate. And what ends up happening in, in getting that material is that you've now secured video at an early stage before it's been wiped out. Because remember, these things have a retention period. So you wanna collect it. Um, when your client gives you information like that, don't just sit on it and expect the Crown or the police to find it. And actually, don't ask the police to go find it for you. Get it yourself. Because you'd be surprised at how things just disappear if you're not on top of it. And although I appreciate there may be a carousel application, lost evidence application down the road, I think it's in your best interest when your client gives you information, follow up on it. Go and see the scene of the alleged crime. Go to that apartment complex. Go and check to see what that street looks like at 11 p.m. at night. Do that due diligence early on and you will find yourself secured with information that will be a benefit to your client's trial. Don't give up that opportunity. And we've got time on our hands. Take advantage of it right now. Um, when you're requesting missing and further disclosure, I want to make sure that it's understood that you're not asking for everything under the sun. You can't just say, I want a blanket request. Many jurisdictions won't even respond to your request at that point if you say, give me everything. Show that you're actually asking for specific items. Um, indicate that you understand that there might be medical reports, for example, out there get that type of information. Don't just sit on it assuming that the Crown will do their due diligence and provide you everything. Um, they don't always. And sometimes they don't have the time to find the information that you need. Uh, I can go from this point, uh, I think, just to complete our uh, PowerPoint, um, that after that Crown pretrial, you have a judicial pretrial, the trial confirmation, and then the trial. But I wanted to take us into what the Crown pretrial and the purpose of it is. Obviously, the telephone call between the defense and the Crown, making sure you've received all your relevant disclosure, telling them what's missing. And you're obligated to conduct this Crown pretrial. Um, you may not realize it, but Crowns need defense to trigger their office to do the work. They've got thousands of files. They really do. And it's your initiation to contact them that starts the process moving. Um, if you don't call and have that Crown pretrial, 
what you're doing is denying yourself an opportunity to find out what the lay of the land is, to find out how the Crown's office is looking at that particular file. So do have that Crown pretrial. Don't consider it just a quick five-minute phone call that you're obligated to have that uh, has no meaning. It has significant meaning. Um, gives you an idea of how the Crown is interpreting the evidence, as I've already said. And it's the first opportunity for the Crown to review the file and give you their best position on a guilty plea. Now, in all respects, not every one of our cases go to trial. And so this is an opportunity for you to present um, a bit of background about your client, but also to secure what the Crown's position is. The, uh, the, what I love about that uh, part of the PowerPoint is when you discuss you get to see what the Crown thinks about your case. Because you may have analyzed it, you may have overanalyzed it, you may see a path to a potential conviction and find out the Crown isn't even in, in, in the same ballpark, not thinking the same thing as you. So it's That's so right. important before, especially if you have instructions to resolve, it's, it, it's so important to ensure that you're on the level playing field and part of that information gathering is knowing what the Crown is thinking. And, and it's great that you pointed that out. Yeah, it, it's very true. Yeah, sometimes we come in with different perspectives. And remember, we also have our client's perspective, which gives us a, an added benefit in, in, in knowledge that the Crown would never have. Um, we've got the individual who's involved directly in the situation. Listen to your client. Make sure you get that information from them. So the line of legal destiny is something that I show my clients. Usually I draw it out on a yellow pad while they're sitting in front of me. Um, now I seem to do a lot of my meetings on Zoom. So this is something that I show them in order to understand what it means to have a resolution discussion potentially with the Crown. So the line of legal destiny. Here it comes, here it comes. See the line? Yes. <laughs> Everything below, above the line is not a criminal record. Everything below the line is a criminal record. So for example, when the Crown offers a financial uh, charitable donation or diversion or something along those lines to withdraw the charges, the purpose of that is to get rid of the charge effectively while still giving your pound of flesh, so to speak in the criminal justice system. But it means that it's not a criminal record. And so many individuals may be offered this, especially first-time offenders who are coming into the system may be offered this sort of resolution. Another resolution is a peace bond. These are quite common in domestic matters or simple assaults where individuals um, aren't likely to have that same contact again. And the Crown feels that the individual's background is perhaps suitable for a peace bond. There may be some counseling up front in order to get that peace bond, but it's also not a criminal record. An absolute discharge. Obviously, this is a finding of guilt, but it's a finding of guilt that requires that an individual, after the period of time of its retention, uh, that that charge also gets withdrawn off of their record. So it's not a criminal record and a conditional discharge, very common in our criminal courts. It requires an individual will get uh, some probationary time or some sort of 
um, requirement, and that's the conditional portion of that discharge. And after the appropriate retention period uh, on that, uh, after the completion of the probation, um, that'll also hopefully with no further legal uh, problems in the future get withdrawn. And it doesn't show as, and it shows as a not a criminal record. And sort of that's our objective if we can, you know, jeopardy is everything. And if you can get your client out of completely out of jeopardy, including having uh, charges withdrawn is amazing. And with the tools that you've put there, uh, I, I know that I've had the opportunity and I know you have as well, where you, sometimes you combine the tools. Uh, it's a charitable donation and a peace bond, or it, the, the Crown wants a conditional discharge, but it might affect your client's ability to, to go to the United States or have other effects on his liberty. So you'll try to pitch a peace bond with conditions for a year together with an absolute discharge, because it really, at the end of the day, is the same effect. And I just want uh, the audience to take home that, that, that you can be creative. Yes, think outside the box and keep them above the line of legal destiny if you can. Because once you can no longer keep them above the line, you are now in territory that uh, puts your client in the unfortunate position of being saddled with a criminal record for the rest of their lives. And that is not something that disappears um, at some point in the future without a uh, request for a record suspension, which can take years and years to secure. The, the suspended sentence and probation is very much like that conditional discharge, um, but it's under the line and now is a criminal record. A fine, very similar to paying that charitable donation, but it's a criminal record. A custodial sentence, meaning jail, uh, involves straight time, intermittent weekends, and a conditional sentence. So, as I said, that suspended sentence very much like that conditional discharge, the fine, oops, sorry, I think I went back, the fine very much like that uh, charitable donation. So, the Crown pretrial doesn't end at the point where you hang up the phone. It's not over. What you need to do is follow up and whatever discussions you have with the Crown, you should write them a letter, email or otherwise. Pursuant to our discussions this afternoon, I'd like to confirm the following. If you fail to do that, you will find that the Crown pretrial notes at a later date don't say exactly what you thought they were going to say. Um, you will find a crown who picks up a file looking at scope won't get the same instructions that you and the crown discussing that resolution um, had in place. Um, so make sure that you get um, uh, written instructions uh, from your client as well as getting uh, a letter out to the crown. So sometimes uh, as a criminal lawyer, um, it's hard to remember to do that. And what we need to do is think of ourselves um, partially uh, as people who create the record. Uh, litigation, civil litigation counsel are excellent at this. They're able to document, docket, memo, everything they do. I may feel uh, that uh, if you draw that over to criminal law, it might be too much, but there is absolutely a secure basis for the necessity of, necessity of it. And, and in my practice, I'm not sure if I see other lawyers 
necessarily doing that. And it's so important to do so. I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, it's, it's an easy thing to do when you're on the phone. First, you don't have to have the phone to your ear. You can have it on speaker and you can be on your computer. Um, and you can always take five minutes to whip down in an email. Hey, by the way, this is what we discussed. I've asked you for the following items of disclosure. You've told me that you're going to get the officer in charge to uh, find and locate these, um, that you're going to have further discussions with the complainant and determine whether or not she'd be uh, agreeable to a peace bond. These are simple things to just throw into an email and send out there. It doesn't have to be as litigious as a civil firm may uh, do these um, instruction letters or closing letters. You can do a quick email, but at least it saves you. Um, because every single time you get something in writing and put something out in writing, it saves you. And this job of being lawyers is, is about making sure that you're covered. Um, and I think the phrase is CYA, cover your ass. Well, when you say uh, that we don't have to be litigious, I can tell you that during COVID and after a, a pre-trial, I actually also sent a recent bread re recipe that I had tried and shared around because part of, you know, part of the banter going back and forth is uh, absolutely we have to protect our client's position, but part of the civility of it all, you know, you, you, you want to make sure people are okay during this period of time. And generally, uh, uh, you talk to people and are friendly with people. That's what builds relations and builds your, 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 your reputation. And it may be part of your character. I know right. that some people laugh at us sometimes because they think we're nice only because we're going to get a withdrawal. But, you know, sometimes uh, we, we, we can uh, um, earnestly uh, share stories and, and, and it, it breaks the ice. I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, the difficulty I think a lot of people have is that we assume that we sit on this adversarial spectrum and that we can't connect with uh, other members of the legal bar. These individuals across the phone um, during a Crown pretrial are in fact people that we're going to know for the rest of our lives. The criminal defense bar is very small and it includes the Crown's office as well. These are people that you're going to know for the next 20, 30 years of your life, maybe even 40 or 50 if you choose to practice that long. And I know for a fact that the clients can come and go and you can be um, zealous for your client's rights and protect them uh, as you should. But in doing so, you should be civil to your friend. You should have that conversation that ends with, it's nice hearing from you. I hope things are well. It's always good to sign off on an email. I hope this you know, email finds you well. Please take care. We have an opportunity during COVID to be compassionate with each other. And you'd be surprised at how far that goes. Um, I've been giving away free good food boxes to uh, Crown attorneys, and hopefully they won't consider it a bribe, but that's what I've been doing. So there you have it. Kindness um, is not weakness. Kindness is not weakness. 100%. Do you want a good food box, by the way? I, um, I both myself and Zinia here are, are salivating and hearing about it. <laughs> I will. I'll send that to you. Um, so what we have also is making sure you get instructions from your client. I, I can't stress enough um, how many clients are grateful to have that level of communication to speak to you, to be able to hear what's going on with their file, to get that opportunity. So I 
purchased the Zoom platform um, for my office when COVID happened. Uh, I was one of the early purchasers. I wish I'd bought stock in the company. I didn't. <laughs> um, but I did purchase their year uh, platform for small businesses, and it's worth it. Um, I now set up Zoom meetings with my clients um, literally every day at specific times. So my clients were sent out a, um, a, a blast email. Uh, you can reach me on Sundays between 11 and 4. Let me know if you want a meeting with me. I'll set up a Zoom. And so just like I used to have in my practice where clients would come to my office, um, they are effectively signing on and seeing me just as they would otherwise. And what the beauty of Zoom is, is I get to share, as I'm sharing my PowerPoint here, the disclosure with them. I share disclosure and review it with them right on screen from the comfort of their home. Most people have the technology for those that don't, and there will always be those that don't who are indigenous or um, have difficulties having the type of telecommunications devices. Um, and in those cases, you have to figure out a way to work around their limitations to assist them. Um, but the COVID environment has actually changed, in my opinion, my ability to communicate with my clients on a better level, a higher level, and a more um, uh, effective way and means of communication. So take advantage of this opportunity. It exists. It, absolutely. And, 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 and you know, we are seeing the changes in the judicial system itself. And I know the Chief Justice Morowitz, and it's been uh, uh, echoed by uh, Chief Justice Mizanov and uh, the AG, AG, we're not going back. It, it took a long time for us to finally get all the gatekeepers together and let, and notwithstanding what resistance, we finally are into this century, or maybe we're just into last century, the last decade of last century, but we're finally going to move forward. And this is fantastic. It's efficient. It, it, it's an ability, like you say, to connect with your clients. Information is every is everything. It provides power for decisions to be made, and the clients really like it. They do. Um, I think they prefer it to a certain extent because it means that they don't have to take the trip. Um, you know, driving and, and commuting is, uh, is a hassle for everyone, and now they get an opportunity to see their lawyer, not just over a phone, and they get to see their disclosure. So, yes, you're right. Uh, we, we are not going back. This is, in fact, the way I intend on seeing most of my clients on a regular basis until such time as we're um, obligated to sit down with them to uh, physically go over pieces of disclosure. But until then, why not? This makes the most sense. And, be, uh, and, and something else to note, the Toronto South Detention Center's um, ARD facility is phenomenal. Uh, it is exactly like Zoom book your meetings with your clients, share your screen, show them the disclosure. Um, it's a wonderful way, and I'm waiting for all the jails to get onto this technology because it makes absolute sense. There's no reason for any of us to have to go to the detention facility um, on a regular basis. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a human touch with your clients. Sometimes your client needs to see you. So don't leave it all to technology. There will be times when it makes sense to go into the jail and actually be there um, in their presence. But let's use the technology now. So going back to getting instructions, 
Um, all I can say is sign, sign, sign. Uh, you want to make sure that your client signs off on things. And once again, the technology permits it. If your client sends you a text message saying, um, I got the information regarding the resolution, I uh, don't want to resolve, and those are my instructions, save the text. Save the text. Don't delete it. It's important. Um, now, once you've got all your instructions after a Crown pretrial, um, usually the Crown pretrial has a discussion about what the estimates will be. If, you know, many trials, small little ones, simple assaults, simple thefts, um, will take no more than two or three hours. And usually they can be set without having to book a judicial pretrial. These days it seems that most everything gets a judicial pretrial and in some jurisdictions they have time limits. So check the time limits for every jurisdiction that you're in. Remember, every single courthouse is its own little fiefdom and each one wants to do things its own way. Sadly, we're the nomads that travel from each of these jurisdictions and so we're the ones that need to know what the rules are when we go into each of these courthouses. I would love to see in the future for your generation of young lawyers coming up some consistency uh, amongst the different and various courthouses, but I think um, that may still take a while because each courthouse wants to do its uh, own thing. Um, so the judicial pretrial process, um, and what I wanted to talk about specifically on judicial pretrials is that the importance of them um, for um, not only the, uh, the client and for your office, but also for the court. Um, this, is, this is the point in time where the court gets involved, where a judge is now overseeing what it is that's getting done. And the Ontario Court of Justice, um, as well as the Superior Court of Justice, has mandated that these judicial pretrials be conducted and that they be conducted with um, uh, informed, prepared participants. And that's really important. Um, these judicial pretrials should have been prepared in advance. And I'm not talking specifically about the Form 17 that you do for Superior Court. I'm saying you should do a similar style Form 17 for the Ontario Court of Justice. And uh, many courts have begun this process by having a checklist of items to discuss. If you go to Brampton, you'll see the checklist sitting in front of Justice McLeod in the middle of her desk, and it'll be a checklist that says, for example, charter rights, uh, statement issues, voir dire issues. There's a checklist. You should have that exact same checklist. Take one from that pretrial room, copy it, modify it, create your own. And I can tell you that that meeting in chambers between the judge, the Crown, and the defense is also your second kick at the can for a better position at a guilty plea. This is an opportunity for the judge to put a little bit of pressure onto the Crown, maybe even you, but it's, a, it's designed to ensure that we're not utilizing valuable court time and space to run a trial. And if there's a resolution possible, this is your opportunity to swing it back into your favor. So don't give up this opportunity without walking in with a full and comprehensive background about your client, 
about all the upfront work that they've done, about the potential resolution that you think should be offered, and uh, sit back and watch the crown squirm when they realize defense counsel has got it uh, down. And so for the economy of a trial and, and putting pressure on either you or the Crown to do this, the judge plays an important role during this process. But always be ready. Now, I don't know if you can see this clearly, but I um, basically copied this from the Form 17 and a combination of our um, pretrial forms that we have in the various courthouses. And you'll see, for example, all the information that you would need to know at your fingertips during your judicial pretrial discussions. My position is you should start filling this out the moment the client comes into the office, before the Crown pretrial. You should start looking at whether or not there's a statement and whether or not the Crown will be seeking to introduce that statement, right? You should be asking those questions. Ask at the Crown pretrial, confirm at the judicial pretrial. Um, how that statement is gonna be played out in court. Is that gonna require transcript of that statement if it's going to be played in court? Um, are there issues of voluntariness? Those are all things that you should know I think by the Crown pretrial, but definitely by the judicial pretrial. What a great and resource. Thank you for sharing this for everybody. It's, so it's I, so simple, but it's so smart to actually put it into play. It is, and it's, and it's an easy way for you to also keep on top of what's important, what the legal issues are at your judicial pretrial um, and in your case specifically. So, we, you know, you can, for example, um, some of it may be a little bit excessive, but after the fact conduct, is there any? Is that something that you need to be concerned about? Think about these issues because you don't want to get to trial and read some of these issues are things that the Crown is actually going to be raising. Um, the way, the manner in which the evidence is going to be introduced. Uh, is there going to be a stay? Are there breaches, charter applications, third-party records? Third-party records are crucial, um, and the courts have very definitive timestamps of when you bring these applications. Are you planning on bringing them? Are there CAS records? Are there family court records? Are there psychiatric records? Are there records um, of the complainants that are relevant and necessary for your cross-examination on issues of credibility? Don't give up these things without checking into it. Now, I've got evidence of the complainant's prior sexual activity at 276 application, but this hasn't been updated in a while. As you know, the code now permits issues surrounding text messages and video recordings. Put that in. Is that something that's going to be raised by you because your client seems to have text messages there? Um, evidence of other suspects, uh, the alternative suspect theory. Um, other legal issues that you think will come up. Uh, defense witnesses have an idea if you have any don't just go in there saying zero to two you might want to know if you actually have witnesses out there don't have to tell the crown but keep it for your own record keep it for your own information um, interpreters courtroom equipment courtroom security issues the issues themselves these are all things that you can put together for your purposes to uh, 
be well informed not only of your client's background, criminal record. Are you going to be bringing a Corbett application? Is that something that you need? Time estimates. Time estimates are important. This is an important page here. Time estimates are important. You want to be in a position to effectively say to the court, I have two witnesses that I intend on calling and the Crown has three that I intend on cross-examining. And my cross-examination is going to take on the main complainant uh, anywhere from a day to two days. Be generous with your time. The Crown and the court's rule will always be to minimize the amount of time and that has resulted in trials that do not finish. Trials that continue well past the dates and you're setting additional dates for individuals who may be in custody. It's not fair. Put your generous time frame on the record. If you think it's going to take five days, say five days. If the Crown says no, it should only take three, make sure your comments are noted on the record when you appear in court to do the trial confirmation that you initially suggested five days. All of these things that you say on the record are important for future arguments, which may involve a delay application, um, Jordan application or otherwise. Um, sentencing positions. Have an idea of what the Crown is asking for. Have an idea of what your client's prepared to accept. Make sure that you go through the um, orders with your clients. Sometimes a plea is being conducted and the next thing you know your client's being told well there's going to be a DNA and there's going to be a section 109 order and a 117 and etc etc. You need to tell your client what all these orders are. CYA, cover your ass, don't be caught off guard. My next few um, screens go into trial preparation um, which isn't part of my um, little garage series podcast with you here. Um, but if you're practice and I appreciate you sharing the steps that people have to think about, uh, and when, when you have the instructions and you're going to trial in the re even if your client want to resolve, but your instructions were, listen, I'm not going to go to jail and, uh, they may go to trial and they may even be convicted, but may end up with a lighter sentence. Uh, follow your client's instructions, get ready for the trial, get ready for the show. Absolutely. And, and so trial preparation is important. And the only way you get to trial preparation is by having done a solid job in preparing for the Crown pretrial and getting ready for that judicial pretrial, which may be either one or two judicial pretrials um, that are required of you in order to set your dates. There are a number of issues that you always have to think about. So please do consider different applications and know your file. Um, it needs to be for you to get your client's story out and uh, make sure that you prepare for your client's story so that the best version of his evidence can come out, his or her evidence can come out the way it needs to. Um, this is something that should be discussed with your client in the advance of even a judicial pretrial is whether your client intends on taking the stand. Sometimes um, the evidence comes out in a way that you don't necessarily need to put your clients on the stand, but get those instructions in advance so that they understand the possibility exists. These are all things that you may want to consider 
in advance of a judicial pretrial. And to the extent that even your final submissions uh, need to be laid out uh, in advance of that trial so that you know when you're making your pitch in that judicial pretrial what that submission looks like, what it is that you're going to be saying in the future. Give the Crown a taste of how difficult this case may be for them if they continue the prosecution. Give them an incentive to potentially resolve in your client's favor. People don't realize how much control we actually have um, during the process. And as a criminal lawyer, that control actually comes from the knowledge of the case and then looking at the law, putting together your memo so that you know exactly where your client stands, sharing that information with your client, and then you're in a position to share it and advocate it at the Crown pretrial and, and the judicial pretrial. Um, thank you for sharing your information about the way you uh, address both Crown and judicial pretrials and the strategy that you have. I, I think it's amazing. I want to ask if you could share a fun story or a good war story about anything in criminal law uh, that will be a teaser for young lawyers to say, you know what, this is worth it, this is fun, uh, there's no better profession to, uh, to enter into. Um, I, I can, for sure. I, I, first of all, I've been doing this for almost 24 years now and, and I, I can't imagine doing any other type of work. I was, I was a baby, Paul, when I started. Yeah. I was a mere child. Um, but in any event, I, I love this work and it takes um, a lot of homework, which somebody should have warned me about. It is a lot of work. But if, once you get past the amount of work there is and you understand how important your role is in the criminal justice system and, and the fact that every single day is a different day, every single day you get an opportunity to change somebody's life. Um, but you also hear some really great stories uh, as you go through this career. Um, and there are stories of, of the things that your clients do or their family members do, or their friends do, or even you do in dealing with your clients that just make you stand in awe of the entire process. So um, I, I've got so many and I don't know where to start other than to kind of um, talk about the fact that uh, just before COVID um, started, I was in a homicide trial and um, we were doing really well, at least I thought we were. And seven weeks into the evidence, we had to stop. And so now the process is about getting the trial started again and um, trying to ensure that my client's rights are, are, are met um, and getting his trial heard. But as you know, um, jury trials aren't commencing. Uh, and so there is now this uh, tug and, and tussle between the Crown's office and my office to determine whether or not this should really be um, set down for a whole new trial, or if perhaps the, the Crown will consider a, another alternative way of dealing with this, um, this charge of first-degree murder. Um, there's always opportunities to take any opening to do what's best for your client with their instructions. Um, find your way through and navigate for your client because you are their advocate to take them through the process. Get excited about the work that you're doing because you'll find as the years go on, people will come back to you and tell you about all the great things they've accomplished because you helped them 
10, 15, five years ago. And they've gone on to do great things in their lives. And that is your legacy. That's what you've accomplished. You've changed somebody's life. You've created a better life for them. You've created a better life for their family and their children and for generations to come. You are important because of the work that you do and don't stop doing it without that passion and integrity and take advantage of COVID because there's a lot of good things coming out of it right now. I, I, I just so appreciative of the words. Uh, they're so inspiring what you just said. Uh, if people need to find you, Roots, our Roots got you. How can they get in touch with you? Well, I have a firm called Roots of Law and Roots of Law is uh, on the internet. You can find us. Uh, there's a number of lawyers who work here at Roots of Law, um, and they're all uh, fabulous. Uh, we have a team of um, four lawyers, including myself, um, all female, interestingly enough, this year, uh, and our law clerk, as well as a dog uh, who is always on site, um, and he is our mascot. It's been fantastic having you with us today. Thank you so much, Roots. Thanks very much for having me as well, Paul. It was lovely to see you and uh, a good food box for you and Zenia coming up. Great. Chat soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. A shout out to our fantastic producers, Zenia Sethna and Jason Cooper. For more free legal education and to check out what we've been doing for the past 10 years, go to thelawgarage.com. That is thelawgarage.com